this lends itself even into the theme I want to talk about, the, the value that I want to discuss this morning, and that is friendship. Before I go any further, I'm going to pray, and then uh, we will hear the word of God together. Heavenly Father, it's for your glory that we exist. All things have been made by you and for you. And Lord, we want to come and humble ourselves this morning in adoration of a God who is good, a God who is on the throne, and a God who lives forevermore. Amen. Amen. We've been talking about values, and it's the Sunday where I believe in a very real way God demonstrated the value that I want to speak about this morning, and that's friendship. We as a church have several values that we hold strongly, and I've taught them from time to time over the years. And friendship is one of the most truly fascinating things that you could ever contemplate. I hope you have friends. Sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes friendships are complicated. You, you, you want to choose your friends, but you can't make friendship happen. You don't get to choose your family, so you can make friendship a little bit even more wonderful than family because family is foisted on you. They, you don't have a choice in that. But with friends you can select them and you can reject them. You could decide that someone is not good in your life. Today maybe one of you will think of someone that you shouldn't be friends with because they keep trying to lead you into temptation and sin. Not a good friend. But you may think there are other people you need in your life and you should build closer with them and you can invest in it. And if you don't, it's not going to happen. It's not like family. Family just happens because you live in the same house many years or within the same community. But friendship, sometimes you actually have to build it. Now, friendship is a truly fascinating and unique relationship. Have you ever considered that friendship is the only non-hierarchical relationship? It's the only non-hierarchical relationship. See, in every other relationship, maybe it's parent to child. I know who's in charge. Don't know what happens in your home, but in my home, it's hierarchical. I'm boss of my kids. Don't, don't believe anything else you see in my home. <laughs> when it comes to husbands and wives, we have different roles to play. And so I lead within that sphere of relationship. I'm not better than my wife, she's my equal. But I know God's called me to lead within the home. So there is a kind of a, it's not like friendship. But we have a friendship, don't worry. So you can have hierarchical relationships and friendships. For example, the elders that work in the elders team, they know that at this season of this church's life, I'm the captain of the elders team. But we also have a great deal of equality and friendship. And actually, as you think about it, even siblings are not equals because they're like, who's older and who's younger? Who was born first and who was born second? It's not equal. There's power plays taking place between siblings. I was born first, you know, or I'm the youngest, I get to be pampered. Well, that was my personal experience, that was very cool. <laughs> Friendship is different from all these other relationships. Friendship's very special because it says that in a, in a very real sense there can be no power play. It, in any other relationship, there are power dynamics, but when power dynamics enter into friendship, it starts to tox, toxify, is that a word? It starts to taint and mess up the dynamics of a healthy friendship. A healthy friendship is really an opt-in deal. It shouldn't be manipulative. It shouldn't be coercive. 
it shouldn't involve what we call bad peer pressure. It should just be, hey, you want to hang out? Yeah, I want to hang out. That's what friendship is like. Friendship, C.S. Lewis writes in his book, The Four Loves, he says, friendship is unnecessary, like philosophy, like art, like the universe itself, for God did not need to create. It has no survival value, rather it is one of those things which give value to survival. Yeah. There's friendship for you, it's unnecessary, but it's the thing that makes everything worthwhile. Without friendship, there isn't much point, actually. And friendship is transcendent. If you think about other relationships, they pass. I work for a boss once, he's not my boss anymore. We may or may not be friends at this point in time. I'm married to this woman, she won't be my wife forever. She or I will die, and that's the end of the marriage. And then in heaven, what will we be? Well, we may or may not be friends, depending on how well things have gone. So friendship has this potential to actually transcend all these other relationships. They, they come and go, you know, even parents and children, you know, I'm not my, my kid's dad forever. Well, in, in one sense I am, in their earthly existence I am, but in eternity we have one Father, yeah. our Father who art in heaven. And when I stand next to my boys in heaven, as long as you guys believe, you'll be there with me. Um, so please do. Um, but we will stand then as, in a sense, siblings of younger brothers to Jesus, our older brother, who is the true Son of God, and we will be His children. And, and you will be my sister or my brother in heaven. Uh, so the relationships on earth don't, don't really last because they get reconfigured in heaven. Even the family structure gets reconfigured because there's one true family. And that's why these things have the potential to be such wicked idols on earth or such glorious institutions on earth. If they're rightly subjugated to the eternal plan of God, then they're wonderful. But if they become the, the, the end meaning of your life, you're in trouble because they're passing, they're going to pass away. So if your earthly family is everything to you, you must be terrified. But I'm not because there's an eternal family that I belong to and that one will last. Anyway, back to friendship. Where does it come from? You may be sitting here and you don't even know God at all, or maybe you know Him quite well. But one of the things that's grown in my mind over the years that I've walked with God has been this idea that God would want to be my friend. This is actually how Jesus introduced Himself to me at the start of my walk with Him. I was about 10 years old, or 8, I don't know, some, I was a little guy, I went to a crusade at my school, and the guy who was on the stage said, do you want Jesus to be your friend? He was pitching it in the terms that a little kid would understand. And I thought, that sounds like a good deal. I would like to be friends with Jesus. I would like a friend like him. And I received Jesus as Lord and Savior by praying and praying. But I, I didn't realize at the time, as I grew older, that I thought, well, that sounds like a very infantile way of presenting Jesus to someone that he would be your friend. But the longer that I've read the Bible and walked with God, the more astounded I am at the very truth that God Himself wants to be our friend. And so talking about the value of friendship, where does it come from? It comes from God. In the beginning of the Bible, Adam walked with God. And it seems to me that when Adam sinned, he, he knew what was happening. He was expecting something to happen when God came looking for Adam. And God said, Adam, where are you? 
it says Adam knew that God was looking for him and he hid away because he was feeling naked because he'd sinned. So there was this, obviously it was customary for God and Adam to have a, a chat. And that's why Adam went and hid and that's why he knew what was going on when God, God said to Adam, Adam where are you? They had some kind of a relationship that involved some kind of walking together and talking together. In Genesis 5 verse 24 it says, Enoch walked with God and then he was not, for God took him. So God was enjoying Enoch's company and then the time came and Enoch was translated. He's one of those early um, like pictures of, of rapture, of being caught up and just taken to be with God. We don't know if Enoch's body is on earth even. I don't even have an explanation for that. But it says, he walked with God and then he was not. He wasn't there anymore. He went. God took him. So, that happened to Elijah. He left in a chariot of fire. The angels came and he went off, caught up to meet God in glory. Don't ask me about the physics of that, the destruction of matter, or whether the universe is now deficient by a few kilograms or not. I, I don't know. We don't understand the mechanics of how these things happen, but we know that God was so motivated to have Enoch with him, he took him. And we see Noah walked with God, a righteous man, blameless. And James 2 verse 23 says, the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. So in James 2 verse 23 you get this direct connection between believing, being credited with righteousness, which means becoming a believer, saved, born again, um, reconciled to God, and then called a friend of God. And who is, who is Abraham? He is the father of our faith. Is like a typographic picture of the prototype Christian. In 2 Chronicles 20 verse 7, it says, Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Moses was also called a friend of God. So, to know theology in that sense, um, you know, we, we're supposed to know all, how do I put it? So many people pursue knowledge, they pursue learning all about eschatology or all about creationism. And, and Jesus accused the Pharisees of trying to learn all about the law, but refusing to come to Him and, and find life. And I think many people look at their faith as if it's something of just a growth in knowledge, but it's supposed to be a growth in relationship. You're supposed to come to, to meet with God. And so what we see here is that it's, it's not, Christianity is not supposed to be caught up in debates about predestination or creation versus evolution. Those things are interesting. But we're, we're not called to just know about stuff. We're called to know God yeah. Himself. Yeah. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 2 says, If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. So there's this aspect of love which cannot exist outside of an other to love and be loved by. And so you need a relationship for that, for love to exist. And that's what we're supposed to have with God. A, a, a relationship where He is, as John wrote, 
essentially in his being, he is love. And we are to love him and enjoy him. So some people want to get a handle on the end times. Some people want to show off their superior knowledge. But that's not the goal. You see, when you really know someone, you don't talk to others all about them, that person you know. I, if I really know someone well, I don't just go to other people and talk to other people about that person. I actually, that would be unsatisfying. I actually get on with it with that person. In other words, I have a, I have a friend, now I contradict myself and talk about him for a moment. I don't talk about him much because you've never heard of him, because we have a friendship. I don't need to talk to you about him because I enjoy his company. I'm trying to show you something here about how people relate to God. Some people want to talk a lot about God, but they talk very little with God. And a real relationship, you actually get on with it with that person. And if you're really keen for someone to know that person, what do you do? Set up a meeting. You introduce them. So when I have a really, really good friend, I don't waste your time by telling you all about him and that's the end. I actually, rather than talk about my friend when he's in town, I'll introduce the two of you. You have to meet my friend. He's an awesome guy. Just telling you about him is not going to help you at all. And some of us, we, we go to people and tell them all about Jesus, but we forget to introduce them to Jesus. We forget that we should say, right now, right here, you're supposed to get to know him yourself. Don't know Jesus via me. Know him yourself. You don't hope that by being enough like that person, they, the people you're meeting, will be satisfied with you as a reflection or representation of that person. In other words, some of us, we, we approach Christianity like, if I'm enough like Jesus, then, you know, I'll be good for people and people will be satisfied that I'm a reflection or a representation of Jesus. That's rubbish. I should be enough like Jesus that I don't repel everyone. But beyond that, I should be showing people Jesus. Meet Him. Don't look at my life and then be satisfied with me as a reflection of Jesus. So as I model my faith to you, don't just look at Kim and say, Oh, you know, he's a, he's a good guy. That's pointless. You have to see that there's, a, there's another one who wants to be friends with you. Jesus himself. And friendship with one another in the body of Christ is an indication that His love is in operation in us. It's an indication of growing revelation of the eternal, of the nature of God. See, God did not need companionship, and He does not because He's not insufficient in any way. Yet He goes after it. Yet He pursues companionship. So God seeks our company. He wants to hang out with you as a person. He wants you to be in a relationship with Him, not because there's any neediness in it. So it can't be an exploitive friendship. It's not that God is going to be toxic in your life because He needs your money, or He needs your worship, or He needs your obedience. He doesn't need any of those things. There's no, this, God actually seeks friendship on very equal terms. He says, come let us reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. What's he really doing with Israel when he says that through the prophet? He says, 
come let us reason together. He says, actually, we can work this out mutually. Let's talk about this. Your sins are scarlet, they'll be white as snow. What's he really saying? He's saying, we can, we can work out what's keeping us apart. Sin has separated us. Your sin was as scarlet, it's blood red with guilt. But it's going to be white as snow. I'm going to deal with the problem of sin. But behind the way that that sentence is written, the come let us reason together, is God saying there's an objective of us being together. It's not just, uh, I'll sort out your sin, but don't talk to me again. It's, I'll sort out your sin so that you can talk to me every day. That's what God's saying to Israel. They didn't get it, by the way. That's why Jesus had to come. So, God didn't need companionship, but yet He goes after it. But we sometimes think all we need is forgiveness, but beyond forgiveness is togetherness. And this is why we must forgive one another. Not solely, not only so that we can be blameworthy before God, but to prepare us for togetherness. In other words, God wants us to learn to walk together in friendship as His family, as a church. And so when we forgive somebody else, it's not just so that we can have a clean slate. God, I'm not holding unforgiveness against anyone. That's not enough. God would actually say, but what do you have with that person? Do you feel nothing for them? Or are you yoked? Are you equally bonded? Are you in a relationship? And so we have to start to understand that a lot of what's going on in Christianity a lot of what God's done is actually, pretty much all of it, is to foster reconciliation. Yeah. To foster the, the, the rejoining together of what was broken apart by sin. And so we were separated from God by our sins. And then He comes and He treats us, while we're His enemies, He treats us as friends. And He dies in order to take away the thing which keeps us apart from Him. He didn't come to make us holy so that He could put us there and say, look at those holy people. He came to make us holy so that He could embrace us. So that He could pull us to Himself and say, I'm holy and the only way I can have what I want is if you're holy. So that's what God's saying. He says, He's holy, but the only way He can have you is if you're holy. So He's going to make you holy by the blood of His Son so that He can have you. So what is, I'm saying, and I'm going to repeat it just now, that holiness was not the goal. The reconciliation, the togetherness, the, the embrace was the goal. So friendship, firstly, it's, it originates with God. He's demonstrated it all through the Bible. We also see examples, secondly, of friendship in the early church. And this starts to really get under your skin if you come from an organizational or a religious church position. Maybe you've, you, you're here because it's Easter Sunday and you don't normally go to church and you think of the formalities of church and you don't see much of that in this community that we, we represent. But there's so much friendship in the early church. In Acts 2 verse 42 it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Yay! They like the Word of God. They want to hear the Bible. They want to hear good expository preaching with solid exegesis and all this theology. That's one guy who will read that and that's what will leap out of him. But right after that it says, and fellowship. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship with one another. That's to the breaking of bread and the prayers. 
So in Acts 2 verse 42, they devoted themselves to fellowship. Have you devoted yourself to fellowship? With whom? Who, who, who are you investing in? Devoting yourself to fellowship. I, I accept that you've devoted your life to the Word of God. That's easy. You can go to Bible school and get that done. What's hard is fellowship. It is so difficult to become friends with people. People are so complicated. It's not easy. I've, I've never been an easy Christian in terms of like, you know those times after the church meeting where you stand around and you don't know who to talk to? It's awkward. I'm an introvert. I hate it. <laughs> but I understand it's a high priority to God because friendship is actually the sweetness of all relationships. It's, it's the best of the best. So it says, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. So that's the beginning of the early church. They're devoting themselves to fellowship, which means building a relationship with each other. And they're meeting in their homes. And then in Acts 20 verse 17, we read about Paul saying goodbye to some of the elders. There's now from Acts 20 verse 17, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come see him. And then reading further in verse 37 of Acts chapter 20, there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Paul was leaving. He was saying goodbye. People wept and embraced. What do you see? Is that a guy retiring after 25 years working at the company? No. Those are friends saying goodbye to a friend. Those are people who are really, really sad to see their friend and brother leave and they know it will probably be the last time. How did Paul build that that was the result, that was the way that they felt about it? We read in Romans 1 verse 9 to 12, For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, ask you if somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. There's that equality of friendship. It's not that I can come and run a seminar. He doesn't want to set up a conference. Do you get it? He, we can do those things. I've got nothing against seminars and conferences. I just attended a conference a while back. Someone's inviting me to a pastor's conference in another country in a, in a few weeks' time. And I'm thinking, I don't want to meet the guy that I've been liaising with at a conference. I want to have him at my dinner table. I don't want to see a guy at a conference that I should actually be friends with in reality. Otherwise, I'm just, what's the point? So I, after years of church conferences, I'm very like, uh, what are we doing? Are we really building relationship with people? Or are we just having events? How did Paul do this? That they wept when he had to get on a boat. Maybe they were just like very scared of the water, I don't know. <laughs> Almost the whole of Romans chapter 16 is devoted to personal greetings. And not only the Romans, but the Corinthians. This is a theme throughout Paul's writing. In 1 Corinthians 16 verse 17, he says, I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence, and they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. He rejoiced at meeting these friends. 
They were refreshing to him. And then look a little bit later at this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 5 to 8. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. You guys who are involved in ministry, I don't... Christian ministry, whether it's organizational, whether it's parachurch, whether it's NGO, whether it's church denomination, just read that and see what you should really aim at. That within what you are doing with the people around you, it should not just be functional. It should be affectionate. It should be, we are desirous of you, ready to share with you our own selves, for you have become very dear to us. The danger is we take Christianity and we professionalize it, we functionalize it, we turn it into ministries and ma management. There's something far, far sweeter to have. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 17 says, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you. Ah, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus and His coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Do you look at the people around you in the kingdom and think, these are the ones that if I love them right and I encourage them and they encourage me and we serve God together, we become each other's joy and crown. In other words, one of the greatest delights I would have is if when one day, when we arrive in heaven together, you are standing smiling alongside me. That we are standing there smiling together and saying, Wow, we survived by the skin of our teeth. We got through that place and now we're here together. We made it. We made it. Here on earth, you're like in the battle, Satan's trying to divide us, there's, you know, spiritual warfare, there's demons, there's tragedies, there's sickness, there's miscommunication, there's disappointment, there's all kinds of chaos. But in the end, if you understand, by the end of it all, you stand together before Him. You are our glory and joy. That's how Paul writes about the people that he's been working with. So, my third and final point on becoming a relational people or valuing friendship. What does it really mean as a church when you value friendship and you want to build a relational church? Well, it means that friendship is present in the best contexts of our lives. Friendship is present in the best contexts of our lives. In our marriages. Song of Songs, or Song of Solomon 5 verse 16 says, His mouth is most sweet, and he is altogether desirable. This is my beloved and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. It's not enough to have a relationship with someone of the, you know, the marriable sort. And you get married and it was all about sex and romance and eroticism and the physical attraction. It's not enough. It's all there. It's all good. 
It's, his mouth is most sweet. He's altogether desirable. Just think of me that way, okay? <laughs> Just talking to my wife. <laughs> but it doesn't stop there. This is my beloved and this is my friend, she declares. This is my friend. See, you stop short if you view a relationship and think that's all it's about. It's his friendship to be added. Yet, if marriage is just for procreation, as some old church views had it, friendship is irrelevant and unnecessary. If marriage is just about survival of the species, then procreation, make babies, make a safe home, whatever, then friendship's unnecessary. But the Word of God celebrates friendship. If church is just for worship, then fellowship is not necessary. But this is not the case in yeah. the church. That's right. See, it's easy to become functional, both in our marriages and in how we view the church. We can easily form an association to get a task done. But what when the job is done? What is left? So I've formed my marriage out of just biological evolutionary instincts and urges to keep the human race alive. I've done my part. I had five kids. I've, I've, I've saved my family name. They were all boys. <laughs> the boys that we had biologically. The, when the job is done, those boys will leave my home and they'll go out into the world and they belong to God ultimately. But what is left in my marriage? Well, if there was no friendship, there's probably very little. So, how do you deal with the church on those terms? You see, we can easily form an association to get a task done. When the job is done, what is left? What is it that unites us? Is it the mission or is it friendship with Jesus and friendship with one another? Because if you unite around mission, trust me, mission will end when Jesus comes back. Mission's over. No more preaching the gospel, no more evangelism, no more healing the sick, no more conferences, no more how eloquent that speaker was, no more your name on a poster, apostle, whoever. It's all gone. No more mission aviation fellowship. No more heli mission. Mission gone. Mission finished. What's left? I want to name all organizations with the word mission. <laughs> so we get to heaven when the work is done. If we've only ever learned to celebrate the work, we are going to be so depressed for the first millennium. <laughs> we are going to be so down because our whole identity has been taken away. We can't do the work we lived for. I was a missionary. No, you were supposed to be a child of God in friendship with the others. And then you would arrive in heaven and say, I get to have the best time now with my friends. With my friends. Now, if you can translate that back into your earthly relationships, that's beautiful. See, you don't have to be friends to get a job done. So what is friendship for then? It is 
the transcendent meaning of us. That's what friendship is. It's the transcendent meaning of us. It is more than the icing on the cake. It is the sweet amongst the bitter. It is the spring amongst the tiring labor of life. Friendship changes things from we have to go to church to we get to go to church. You know that difference? Like our boys, when they were much younger, they were like, they loved church because it symbolized getting to see their friends. One of my sons who's been in South Africa for many months is going to come and visit in, in June. And we rescheduled our time away so that he could be at the church meeting on a Sunday because we were going to go camping, having a holiday in a beautiful place in Madagascar. And he said, but I don't want to miss a Sunday. So can we not be on holiday on Sunday so I can come to the church meeting? Why did he say that? Because he wants to see his friends. Why did you come to this place today? Part of it at least should be because you want to see your friends, people you can love and feel enjoy, enjoyment with. And so I've got a quote here. These are some of these notes are from 2009, way back when I first came to Madagascar. And our boys said, can we go to Vision Valley? Because that's what the church was called then. Ah, oh, why not? And then we had to say as parents, because it's not Sunday. <laughs> They were like wanting to go even on a non-Sunday and then we had to say, sorry, you can't, there is no church meeting today, it's Thursday. When you know your friends are going to be at one place and then you go to another, that would be weird. It's like, hey, I'm going to KFC, Craig, Craig's called back, yeah, but I went to fly in. Why didn't you come hang out with me at KFC? You know, if you're going to go somewhere, you go where your friends are. You don't just go in a different direction. So, you build friendship here and you become part of here. And, you know, no more telling me next week I'm going to be at such and such a church. I'm not talking about the guys who have work to do on a Sunday. Okay, Some of you will be at such and such a church because that's your calling and your responsibility before God. But if you're just like the normal church member that just has a choice... Then choose one church and go there for as long as you possibly can to make as many friends as you possibly can and never leave except if you're crying because you have to go. You know what I mean? That's what friendship will do for you. When you sort of, these are my crowd. They're not perfect. They're actually pretty shabby average guys, but they're my guys. Rich Mullen said that. He said, my friends ain't the way I wish they were. They are just the way they are. That's friendship. It's accepting people as they are. You could think there's a lot of cooler stuff happening down the road. Maybe you should go there. If you just keep living that life of going to where the cool stuff is happening, what you're going to miss out on is building deeper, meaningful friendships. So when you're here one week and then you're off visiting somewhere else and then somewhere else and somewhere else, you must be lonely. Perhaps you've not yet seen the depths of covenantal relationship that existed in New Testament local churches. It takes time to make friends stick around. Maybe we're not better than others, but you have to build your life somewhere. So Jesus said in John 15 verse 12, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. 
You're my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Jesus has divulged his power in a sense. He's given all he has to his disciples and he no longer calls them servants. He calls them friends. Did they minister together? Yes. Were they always and forever his servants? Yes. So what's Jesus doing? He's not ceasing to be Lord and Master, but he's extending the relationship to say there's a, there's a non-hierarchical component to our relationship and it's called friendship. I no longer call you servants. They're still his servants, but he calls them friends. And God calls me his friend, even though I know I'm his servant. It's a deep revelation for me. After serving, they had become friends. Before the Great Commission, that's Matthew 28, they were called friends. They didn't want freedom from him, they wanted more of him. Look at them hanging out together at the Last Supper. John is reclining on Jesus. His head is against Jesus' shoulder. They've got the bread and the wine. They've got the meal. They've been having the Passover meal together. And it's not formal. It's friends hanging out. And John has got his head against Jesus' shoulder. You don't do that to your boss. You'll get a slap. You'll get a rebuke. You'll get a letter warning you about inappropriate workplace behavior. Unwanted touching. All kinds of stuff. But John describes his relationship with Jesus and he calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. He understood what Jesus meant when Jesus spoke about friendship. There's this closeness. And you know, some of us see the task, and Jesus does have work for us to do, but Jesus saw friendship and said, if you see the value in him, then you will do the task. This is the difference between building relationally and building organizationally or functionally. Acts 4 verse 23 says, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. These guys had been in prison. They got out of prison, the Bible says. They ran to their friends and reported what had happened. Not when they were released, they went back to headquarters and filled out forms. So I need to conclude now. The goal of our faith is to know God. It is not to be holy. To be holy is a means to being near to God and for Him to be near to us. So becoming holy is absolutely one of our aims, but it is not our goal. Our objective is to be intimate with God, to be friends with Him. But He is always holy, so He can't be close to us if we're unholy. Our sins, and even as a believer, when you sin, you know your sins drive you apart from God. So we deal with this attempt to become holy, not for the sake of a religious holiness, for the sake of intimacy with God. When we make our focus on how holy we are, we become a little strange, a little weird, like those monastics. We must rather aim at fellowship with Christ. Make Christ your aim, and along the way you will become holy. Why will you become holy by accident, not by intention? Well, there is intentionality behind it. But if you keep your heart soft, saying, I want to know Jesus, 
then the Holy Spirit's going to constantly lead you away from sin. And as you feel the grieving of the Holy Spirit because you did something wrong, you'll quickly turn back and say, I'm sorry, Lord. I want you. I want restored peace and intimacy and fellowship and friendship with you. And God says, your sins are forgiven. So to me, this proves the only valid reason, the only lasting reason for resisting sin is, is to have fellowship with God. Similarly, in our giving, if we tithe, it's not for protection. You're not paying God protection money so that He doesn't curse you. It's to please Him. There will either be a functional, dutiful giving or a giving that comes from relationship. God wants a cheerful giver. Not a, oh no, if I don't do this, I'm going to get into trouble with God. That's not how the New Testament describes giving. God wants a cheerful giver. What He means is someone who's gladly worshipping Him. Not out of intimidation. Meeting together. We do it joyfully. Men's breakfast, tea and coffee in the Boma. All these values our church carries because we want friendship. You know, a men's breakfast is not about men. It's about breakfast. <laughs> We're not doing anything that women can't do. We don't even care if there's a, a big name speaker. Business breakfast, they have to put on some name to attract you to the... This guy's going to come and talk about economics, I don't know. But men's breakfast within the household of faith is about the breakfast because it's about the friendship. We don't even mind who shares what, as long as we get some food. We actually just want to hang out together. And church is far more than worship and hearing sermons. It's lives intertwined with one another in the love of God and the commission of Christ. There's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. The Bible has this verse. There's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. There's a friend who is closer than a brother. And this is why we should go beyond brother. To become friends. So I, I don't want you to call me brother. You can. We call each other brothers on this WhatsApp group. The elders and some other friends. We're like, morning brothers. But when I talk to Craig, he's Craig. When I talk to Aina, he's Aina. And, and I don't want you to call me brother only. Just call me Kim, because that's what my friends call me. I don't want, need you to call me pastor, because there are many pastors, but there's just one me. Kim. Call me Kim. Okay. So there's, these things are values we carry. It's not, it's, it's not semantics. It's not games we're playing. It's deeply held convictions about how you build a healthy community. So... When you come to value friendship with God and with the saints, you practice forgiveness. Not functionally forgiving because you commanded to, but relationally forgiving because you desire friendship. And Easter is the time God demonstrated this. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. And then Jesus came, died on the cross, Provided His blood as an atonement offering for our sins, for your sins, if you're sitting here today. Every sin, every failing, Jesus paid to reconcile you to the Father. He purchased your ransom. He gave the atonement for your sin. He provided the required offering to cover over and wash away all of your sin. 
Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. What he's saying is, I'm giving my life so that you can be friends with me. That's what God wants from every one of us. And his invitation goes to every one of us. If you're a believer here, you understand that. If you're not a believer, you need to know this. God wants to extend friendship to you through Jesus. And his death and his resurrection opens a way for you to know God and be friends with him. The band can come up. Let's stand. I'm going to pray for us. Lord Jesus, when you gave your life, you gave your life to make us one with you. You died and you rose again. And today we can't help but celebrate Easter, the risen Savior, the eternal God. But in this act, you declared that you are laying your life down for the sake of friendship so that you could have your friends as your friends. Maybe you're here today and you don't know God that way. Like I was a little boy once and someone said, Jesus wants to be your friend. I tell you today, Jesus wants to be your friend. All you have to do is say, yes, Lord Jesus, I believe. Yes, Lord Jesus, I believe. You want to be my friend. I want you. And then you lay down your life before him. You say, Jesus, I receive you as my savior. I accept and believe that your blood has taken away the problem of my sin. You've washed my sins away. So I turn away from sin and I turn towards you to live for your great namesake. Amen.